Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. What we want to do is talk about our most recent article. Um, this will be our July article that came out just a few weeks ago in the Sleepy Rock Gazette. Um, my background, for those of you that don't know me, I've got over 40 years experience in manufacturing, business ownership, and coaching, work with hundreds of companies in a lot of different industries, uh, literally around the world. Um, I've uh, I coached a number of fab shop owners in the last 20 years. Uh, and I've owned my own brick and mortar business. It wasn't a fab shop, but I had a couple of locations and I know how lonely it gets to be as that person at the top is that owner who has to make all those tough decisions, uh, sometimes by yourself. It's, it's a big challenge. Sometimes I have run a countertop shop for a few years. Um, Brian, you mentioned the transition from B2B to B2C. That was one of the things that we did is, uh, we made a big transition from a 95% B2B to more of a 50, 50 mix with B2C. Uh, and that helped us uh, survive the recession. So understand that transition. And that's uh, that's an interesting transition. It's a lot of fun. For, for the shop that I ran and for a lot of shops, the holidays are that really big, busy, stressful time of the year. And I uh, got to thinking about, okay, so what can we do? What can we uh, help folks with to make holiday season of 2022 better? And of course, that's not an overnight transition. So we had a series of 12 articles set up for the year. This is number seven. And as some of you has already have already said, the whole idea is to to help you find ways to work on your business instead of in your business. There are days when you don't have a choice, but certainly when you do, you want to do that because obviously the more that you can improve your business, the more you can work on your business, uh, the closer you get to having a business that not only makes you money, but gives you time to enjoy it. And quite frankly, as owners, you deserve that. So that's that's really what this is all about is to to give you those, those opportunities and some of those tools. Previous articles in, in this series uh, talked about starting the change process, uh, how to use metrics like a sports coach, uh, the relationship between pricing and capacity. A lot of folks ask about, is my pricing formula correct? Am I, am I pricing things properly? Uh, and you know the short answer is uh, it depends, and it has a lot to do with the impact of different markets and different jobs on your capacity. Uh, if you want to read any of these past articles, they're available on slipperyrockgazette.net. You can also go to fabricatorscoach.com, hit the blog tab at the top of the page and read them there. And then we also put these out as a podcast too. So you can go to Fabricators Coach Podcast and listen to these and, and hear what folks are talking about. Um, got a question for you. How many of you are already starting to see some softening of sales in the market? I'm seeing a softening of sales. I'm seeing a softening of quoting. So we're still dealing. We do being a B2B shop. We do a lot of multi-unit and um, single family new builds. And we're still cleaning out of all the supply chain issues and labor issues that they're all having. So we're booming right now. I mean, we, we are working almost seven days a week, but I'm not quoting nearly as much as I, I was uh, even two months ago. So I'm seeing the softening for the future. And it's good that you understand that. A lot of folks don't understand what a leading indicator quotes are. And of course, in B2B, when you're doing multi, multi-family, multi-unit type work, 
um, that's a that's a long a longer lead time than people walking into your shop, uh, walking into your your showroom and 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 wanting to talk about or wanting to look around that sort of thing. But yeah, those leading indicators will tell you a lot about what's happening. And I'm um, a lot of what I'm working with some of my clients right now is putting together systems to start to track those. So we make we give them better visibility, so we we have an idea what's coming at us. So thank you, Brian. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, Stephanie, Laura, are you guys seeing any uh, any softening in in sales or in your leading indicators of quotes and, and showroom traffic? Not yet. I can, uh, but our, we're we're in a little bit of a different market down here on the Gulf Coast, where we're still not recovered from the hurricane. So um, we have a little bit of a thing going on there, and a very uh, we, we still are very negative on the inventory of real estate. And, but I am talking with our builders and contractors who have said that they've seen a slowdown in sales. So eventually that will catch up to us. Uh, Laura, uh, what are you seeing? Um, I created some dashboards based on what you preached. <laughs> it looks like June, we quoted less than we did in May, but we still quoted more than we did last June. I do think it's slowing a little bit, but also I, going back to school, we usually see a little bit of a slowdown. But we're still, we're having record months. We're beating last year. So nothing, nothing too crazy, terrible. Okay. Yeah. And that, that's a good point. It's kind of like, all right, slower compared to what? <laughs> compared to the last two years, yeah. compared to 2019. Um, seasonality certainly is a factor for a lot of folks. Some folks this is their busy time of year during the summer, especially if you're further north because of weather factors. Um, but some folks, this is a slower time of year. You know, the shop that I ran, usually the tail end of summer, we were relatively busy, but we started to see a drop off in August. And then uh, after folks came back, school started after Labor Day, then things started to pick back up and we were wide open through the, through the rest of the year. So, yeah, I have, you know, when I asked the question, or is, it start, is it softening for you? It is a matter of compared to what, and I think a, a big challenge a lot of folks are going to have. One of you said as you came on that, you know, you guys have been working almost 24-7 uh, trying to keep up with demand, and certainly a lot of folks are seeing a big spike in demand the last two years. The challenge I think a lot of folks are going to have is that at 2019, maybe you're used to running a, a, a $4 million shop, for example, and lately you're running $4.5, million a year. If things slow down, you may be back to that four million or maybe four and a quarter, uh, which doesn't mean that you've really started to lose money necessarily, as long as you make the right adjustments in that process uh, so that your costs are staying in line and that sort of thing. So um, that's certainly one part of, of getting ready for a, a potential recession or a what they call a soft landing, whatever that slowdown looks like. But part of what we want to talk about is, is the marketing and sales aspect of things. Um, how many of you have a, a formal, uh, hopefully written down, but at least well thought out marketing plan? I don't mean a, an ad campaign. I mean a marketing plan. Not, not formal and no. written down, but there, there's stuff running. <laughs> All right. Now, when you say stuff's running, are you running just uh, ads, running specials and promos, or are you doing something different? Uh, I would say more just kind of branding. We do some billboards. We do radio we do um, Google paid search, Facebook posts. That's the majority of it. We try to do okay. community events and get out there like that. But Okay. 
Good, good. Yeah, that's much closer to marketing than the, running the promos and the specials. Uh, Stephanie, did you have a comment? Yeah, so uh, we've never done a whole lot of advertising, but over the past several years, uh, we knew that our market would trend more towards our the east side of our county and down on the Gulf. So we did start putting up billboards and we started running ads in the right magazines that get in front of the right people, not, not necessarily renters, but condo owners and people that will be building for the new construction that's coming on the eastern side of our county. And um, so we same thing, really just getting our name recognition out there. Probably eventually we'll have a storefront over in that area. Um, so minimal advertising, I would call it, but we're not, we've never run ads. We've never run specials. That's just not our, that's not who we are. Um, but we did partner this year with a local television station to do a, um, a studio remodel with them. And so we'll have about a year of television advertising through that partnership. And we've never done anything radio or never done anything in, to that degree. Um, we've never been highly retailed. So this is a little new venture for us. Okay. Great. Well, it's, it's good to hear that you're, you're not doing a lot of promos and that sort of thing. I, I talk to folks about marketing sometimes and they'll talk about all the promos they got going on. And I'm going, no, that's, that's not promotion. That's average. I mean, that's not marketing, that's advertising. So um, that's good information. Appreciate you sharing that. I think the real key is, you know, a lot of times I'll go work with, uh, I'll do assessments for clients or, or for, for companies, uh, people to call and ask questions and I'll go uh, pull up their websites and, and you may want to try this sometimes. A lot of times I'll pull up, you know, four or five websites in a, in a geographic area and they'll all look the same. Uh, sometimes I wonder, are they going to the same online source to pull out the same stock photos of kitchens? Because really they all look the same after a while. Uh, and so the marketing part really is setting that identity that you want to put out there, setting that message out there that differentiates you. Uh, and I think that's that's a real, real key to to differentiating marketing from advertising. And can I jump in there for a second? Sure. Um, so I, I just want to piggyback on the comment you just made. I, I mentioned before, we're in the process of rebranding our company. Um, it's now, this will be the third rebrand. Actually, the second rebrand since the company was, was founded. Um, I decided to hire a professional marketing firm to help with this process. And in, in turn, got it linked up with a, a professional website company. And I am blown away with their work. It is, I mean, everybody who works in a different industry should be an expert in what they do. I mean, that's why you, you hire someone. And they went around and I gave them examples of fabricators' websites that I thought looked nice. They did their own research and they had the same thought as you, Ed, that everything's looking the same. It's like the same, it's rinse and repeat. And they took that and they're making it us stand out and look completely different. And, you know, us on the call today, we're all in different geographic regions. So I have no problem saying that I'm going to blow my competitors out of the water with my website. And I can't wait to do that. Um, and so I just wanted to say, to piggyback, to say um, it's worth the time and the investment in using a professional, not doing a website yourself and not using I think going outside, I've seen people, oh, I make fabricator websites, like, you know, and then they all look the same. Um, so differentiation, I think, is key. 
Agreed. Thank you for that. Is your uh, is your new site up and running yet? No. And as I'm saying that, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm... I was going to bring it up and show it to folks. Shoot. I, I, I like the idea of bringing people from outside the industry to come in and take a look. Um, a lot of times uh, I'll do spend time helping folks hire key people in their business sometimes, um, at, mainly at, at managerial levels and, and, and higher upper management levels. But a lot of most the most successful hires that I have are people who come from outside the industry. And they, they help us in. really find our unique selling propositions and what's going to make us stand out against our competitors. Because um, like I said before, we're the largest of the small, meaning we're much more professional. We have a much more wrapped up process than smaller fabricators in the area. But we're not a huge, you know, pumping out 2000 square feet a day type of a shop either. So they've helped us find some of our unique selling propositions to really highlight, you know, why you'd want to work with us versus the other smaller fabricators who may be able to give a lower price. Hey, Brian, for folks who may not know, can you just give us a quick uh, 30 second definition of a unique selling proposition? Um, yeah, so I have on my I have a full customer service department. I have project managers. I have. um we have a construction expert and we have engineers all on staff. So when you come to us, I can't tell you the number of times we help people solve problems in their home from the professional team that we've brought in here. We also have our own designer in-house. So when people come, I don't have to deal with designers who, uh, you know, are interior designers who have all these big ideas that actually aren't, you know, safe or realistic or, you know, void a, a manufactured court's warranty. Um, I can't tell you the number of times I have to say, yeah, if you we do what your designer wants, your warranty is bye-bye. Um, and they get really pissed at that. So I have I have a professional staff in, uh, here. I also have an, my own in-house designer who worked with us so that we can, you know, do it right the first time. And, and customers really appreciate that. Understood. You're uh, <laughs> you're a great straight man, Brian. You're, you're talking about stuff that I'm getting ready to talk about. So that's great. Great to hear that you're doing that. Um, yeah, that's uh, basically uh, what a USP, a unique selling proposition does is it's that message that differentiates you. Uh, that's it. it and, and what your marketing folks did was awesome. Go look at and do their own research and then come up with something that really makes you look different. Even though, I mean, you've got some some good uh, resources that you offer and that's great. But a lot of times with uh, in this business, if you'll just talk about what you do well, it may be the same as the guy across town or the shop across town. The fact that you talk about it sometimes is enough. Laura, did you have a comment? Um, I so before my husband dragged me into this industry, I did digital marketing for about ten years. And to, to Brian's comment, um, we always told people that you don't need to go to a specialized somebody who understands your industry. So I think you're totally on the right track, Brian. Um, you know, online the, the space works no matter what your industry is. So just because somebody has more in knowledge in your industry doesn't help you. You have that knowledge, you know? So that was all. So Laura, all right. So I wish this is going to be fun, fun conversation. Laura is an expert in the stuff I'm going to try to talk a little bit about. And Brian is actually doing the stuff that we're going to talk about. So uh, I'm going to look for you guys to weigh in and uh, straighten out anything that I say that's wrong and offer some, some input and advice. Cause I think, that's where the peer-to-peer -peer learning really gets to be strong as we've all got things we're good at. And, and sharing that, I think, is a, is a big help to everybody. So we talked a little bit about marketing. Let me ask you this. How many of you have been through formal training on sales techniques? No, just self-learning self pretty much. 
I've gone through training exercises in other industries. I come from uh, consulting. Um, and so I've gone through like business development seminars about how to sell that type of stuff. Um, how about your salespeople? Have they been through anything like that? I've sent our salespeople to many different trainings uh, for across the years. Um, and somehow they always seem to come away with, we sell on price. So <laughs> I don't know where we're sending them. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may want to may want to reconsider the uh, the destination there. Uh, something's not clicking. Uh, Stephanie, how about you? I'm the same as Laura. Just you know, webinars, podcasts here and there. Um, and I've been in the construction industry in one shape or form since 1993. And so, thankfully, I had good peers before me that you know were good trainers and. I think that to be in our industry doing what we do, we have to care as much about the finish as we do about the closing of the sale. And that's one of the biggest things. And I, I try to I try to send that message, you know, as we hire new people and we train people, I try to, you know, make sure everybody's on board for that message. Thankfully, you know, have some very good sales designers that work for us that um, don't want to be the low guy on the, the totem pole when it comes to pricing they want to have a reason to get a higher margin and so you know but certainly no I've never sent anyone to formal training um, not because we don't desire to or don't believe in it but really we don't I mean it's like how do we that the pace that we've grown we can't keep up as it is and so our best intentions always go by the wayside Understood. And that's a good point. You know, when you, when you, when the market's been like it has been for so many people, um, you know, the last, last couple of years, it's, you know, you don't really need to go out and look at that, at sales training and marketing too much because you've probably got more work than you can handle now. Uh, and so, yeah, you certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to spend the time and money on that. But part of what we're talking about is that, you know, this is getting to be, uh, I think we're getting in a situation where, we're going to see a little bit of softer landing, a little bit of softening of the market. So we're starting to kind of look ahead and get ready for that. So that's, that's why I asked the questions. Okay. And I appreciate the, uh, appreciate the feedback and appreciate the input. That's, that's really great. One of the keys in the article was to start talking about how to stop marketing by accident and marketing on purpose. Uh, those of you, I mean, you know, Lars, Lars uh, got a lot of experience in this and, and Brian's doing it. Um, you guys understand that the key to marketing is it's going to bring you opportunities to make a sale. And so, you know, if you're doing only promos, marketing only promos, then you're in the, you're playing that low price game. And in the low price game, you're, you're just selling product at a price and you're spending money just so you can sell your products typically at a lower cost because you're in that low price game. And I think a lot of folks just don't realize that they're spending money to allow them to sell uh, their products at a lower cost rather than what I think uh, Laura, Laura or Stephanie were talking about, which was going out and, and doing the right marketing, setting the right, um, the right message, the right identity. So folks understand why you don't really need to lower your price. Uh, that's, that's, that's a big key, I think. Look, Chuck, you got your audio set up there? I went to the cell phone. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, you've been, uh, been trying to get your technical stuff worked out. You got any thoughts or comments on what we're talking about since you haven't had a chance to weigh in? Um, I mean, we, we don't do any marketing uh, as you, we've been talking here in the last couple of weeks, we we're still trying to recover from that hurricane. So we're still months out in, 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 in our uh, schedule. Yeah. 
So you have, so we, you see have it, we, we see it slowing down for sure. Okay. So you are starting to see some softening there. Okay. Yeah. So you and Stephanie, you're kind of in that same geographic area. You're on that Gulf Coast, and and you've got a lot of built-in demand from from the, the the recent hurricane a couple of years ago. Okay. Right. And and Laura and Brian, since you guys are going through this, um, you know, please add add your comments as I, as I walk through this part. Is how do you get out of this selling your you know spending money to sell your product at a lower price? And I think the key is stepping into your customer's shoes and understanding what problems it is that they want you to solve for them. Brian, since you've kind of been through this, or you're going through this now with your marketing firm, what types of problems have you guys identified that your customers want you to solve for them? And how have you gotten that message out? My goal with my marketing is to bring them in to our design center, our showroom. And I have found that when they come in and we can engage them and have a conversation and show them that we're not, we get to then show our professionalism, our knowledge. They're blown away by the showroom we put together. They, they see the value in working with us. And sometimes if I really want to sell, I'll do some gimmick like, you know, oh, you know, I'll take 5% off, you know, if we sign today or, you know, something like that. Of course, you know, I upped it by 5%. So I'm not, you know, losing money on the deal. But really, what, people are blown away when they come in here and they see the value against, you know, someone who's who's doing this out of their garage. And, and, and I don't know, you know, everyone else is through other parts of the country. I don't know what type of competitors you have. I have so many. They're doing this out of their garage. It's not against OSHA standards. They don't know from the Natural Stone Institute how anything should be done. They violate the court's manufacturer warranties on a daily basis. And the customers don't know that. So when I start telling them that, that other fabricators do these type of things, they get worried. And then they see the value of working with our professional company and they kind of stop looking around. Yep. That's excellent. Laura, you're the expert. What are, what are your thoughts? Well, just because I'm an expert doesn't mean that I actually do it. <laughs> 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 it's like, you know, our homes are the contractor or the plumber's home never has running water or whatever. But um, I'm kind of with Brian. We um, it's sometimes it's hard to convey a big message like that in advertising. Um, we harp on our salespeople to just educate, educate, educate. And, you know, like, kind of like Brian said, we're like, well, what, what about this? Did you think about this? Did you think about this? And um, I think that we're, yeah, we try to sell that value, you know, that we have a highly competitive market. We've got bottom feeders here too, who are still doing, you know, $25 a square foot. Um, so, and we're not those people, we are talking about upping prices. We've already done some of that, but, um, on your training question, we, I really would like to put together, even if it's just monthly training for the salespeople, because I'm sure you always all have the same problem that turnover is high in any position in our industry. So sometimes, you know, sending people to formal training, you're like, well, are they going to be here next month? You know? <laughs> But if we could at least just do something internally, like teach them how our saw works and why we have to cut things the way we do. Um, I just think that the more knowledge the salesperson has, they're able to talk to things. And I think that competitors don't have that. So that's what we try to do. But again, it's hard to, that's hard to convey, you know, in a 10 second or 10 word slogan. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, and that's that's the, the challenge with marketing. And as you know, Brian talked about using professionals, I think that's the advantage of working with professionals. I mean, I, I've done the same thing in our business is 
you know, how do I explain who Fabricators Coach is and what we do and, and why we're different than somebody else that may be out there. Uh, and that's where those professionals are really invaluable in helping you pull that knowledge out of your head and then communicate it in a way that the customer, that it means something to the customer. Because at the end of the day, if the customer doesn't get the message or doesn't understand the message you're trying to convey, then you haven't done a good job. It's the old saying, if the student hasn't learned, the teacher hasn't taught, uh, we're, we're kind of doing that in, in marketing this business. Um, several thoughts come to mind. One is, if any of you listen to Aaron Crowley's Fab Lab podcast, it's a really good uh, series of podcasts. He's been doing this for a few years. Uh, we had a conversation on one of his episodes back in the middle of June where we talked about the fact that, you know, sometimes all you have to do, you don't necessarily have to do anything differently. And I, and I think what Brian's offering is a really high level of service, which is great. But Brian was talking about how, you know, you go out and, and just explain how the process works. How does this countertop process work? And, and what are the things that you as a homeowner, you as a customer need to understand and the responsibilities that that homeowner has to make sure that when they're making coffee in that kitchen every day for the next, you know, five, 10 years in the morning, that they're still happy with what you've done for them. You know, what's their role in that? And, and Aaron had some really good comments on that. So if you want to go pick up that, that podcast, Fab Lab podcast, and look for that episode in the middle of June, uh, he's had some really good comments and some good thoughts in terms of how he did that. Um, one of the things uh, I think, some of you have talked about you're making some transition from B2B to more of a, maybe a, a better mix of B2B, B2C. The shop that, uh, that my wife and I ran, we did the same thing back right before the recession. And one of the things that we had to kind of understand and, and admit and then overcome was, you know, we, we, as you think about it, customers, people have more jobs. Typically they change jobs more often than they buy countertops. They buy more cars and countertops, more houses and countertops typically. And so when you're dealing with a homeowner, you know, they, they can go out and find all sorts of information and lots of resources on how to interview for a job, how to make a good price on a car house, the whole bit. There's not a whole lot out there on countertops. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this business is when you look at all the other trades that are out there, there are lots of standards that are well-known national electrical code, you know, builders, guidelines, builders, codes, local codes, that kind of stuff. Um, but other than NSI, there's really not a whole, and, and what the, the quartz manufacturers put out there is, is their requirements. There's not a whole lot out there and everything that is out there, the average person doesn't know about. So the bottom line is when we were making the shift in the shop, we were running, we put together a lot of intentional ways of educating that customer. And I think that's part of what Brian's talking about, where you know, you talk to customers about, you know, here's what's important in this process. Here's some, kind of some do's and some don'ts. And this is the role that you've got. And this is when you need to make certain decisions so that when we set a date, these things will happen as scheduled. Because if we can't count on you making a sync decision, edge profile decision, whatever, at a certain point in this process, then we're going to miss that install date. And now your project schedule is going to be blown up. And so... You know, those are things educating that customer that's really key. One of the, the the things we struggle with here at our company is we've been around since 1991 and we started as a Corian fabrication shop. And I don't know if any of you were from that time, um, <laughs> yeah. but in order to buy DuPont Corian, which was the premier surface that everyone wanted in their home, you had to be accredited by DuPont Chemicals. And they only sold to 
established fabricators who represented their company well. And when Corian left the marketplace and natural stone came in and then quartz, there's been this eruption of chaos, in my opinion, because anybody can bring in their own containers. Anybody can go to a, 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 to a distributor and they just want to sell slabs. So they don't care if you're Joe Schmo or, or really qualified fabricator. They just want to move slabs. And because to your point, Ed, there's no, there's no guidelines or there's no accreditation in our industry anymore to say, I know the Natural Stone Institute has one, but it's not widely enough accepted that people are doing it. That, and, and so therefore people aren't valuing it. So they read a Google review or they hear from their neighbor that they used X, Y, or Z company and, and, and they, people don't know what they're buying because the, the people making these countertops in some cases, or I, in my opinion, in many cases, aren't qualified to be doing so, yet they do it. And the, the, I'll, I'll share a quick anecdote. Um, I, I don't want to take your time, Ed, but there's this woman who's an influencer who lives locally to me on Instagram. She has hundreds of thousands of followers and she pushes products left and right. She got a new kitchen, new countertops, and they painted the cabinets and she's she keeps talking about these uh, this amazing, amazing company and everyone should use them. Of course, I've looked them up. They're, they do crap work and they did crap work in her home, but she doesn't realize that. She just keeps pushing them. And in her L-top in the corner is a 90 degree cut on a quartz countertop. There's no seam, no nothing. It's a 90 degree cut. And that thing is not made to industry standards. And it, every day when she goes or every time she goes and posts about this thing, I, I want to message her and say, ma'am. You got taken to the whatever, like you got a bad product and it's not going to work. Please stop talking about it. Yeah, the, the reality is, is that, you know, when you talk, you talk about, I think, two guys in a pickup truck working out of a rental unit. And it's not that they don't do good quality work necessarily, but they're not certified. They're not trained. They're not necessarily buying from a company that's going to make them meet certain standards in terms of the slabs they buy, just like you're talking about. And the influencers who don't understand, I think it's a really good, uh, good example of the fact that this industry can sometimes be looked at as the wild west in a way. Uh, There's not a whole lot of rules. And so when we take the time to educate the customer, to help them understand what it takes to get a good product, what it takes to have a good experience and what it takes to be happy with the end result for years and years and years, uh, I think that's valuable to customers. Um, and so I think that's, you know, part of marketing is that, and then, you know, sales is part of that as well. That's what gets you out of, selling based on price and gets you asking some of those deeper questions uh, and gets you into the service aspect of things, serving that customer rather than just getting the signature and getting the deposit. So I think that's that's really a, a big key in, in terms of being successful in this business is understanding the difference between advertising and marketing and understanding on the sales side that that service is really the key educating the customers is a key. And then key with, uh, you know, the key with, with sales, uh, you somebody was talking about sales training a minute ago is that understanding that buyers will make decisions on an emotional level. They'll buy based on emotion, but then they'll back up and justify that with logic. So the challenge a lot of times is how do you ask those questions that take them just from the logic? You know, we've talked a lot about the process, the role of the process and kind of work from the logic down into that deeper level of emotion to where we start to uncover what their real concern is. Uh, one of the things that Aaron and I talked about on this podcast was price shoppers. 
you know, people who come in and want to know what your, what your dollars per square foot price is. And obviously you, you can't compete with, you know, two guys in a truck and a rental unit. Uh, you never will. But, you know, one question is, all right, why are they looking for that price? Some folks are wired that way. That's just who they are. They won't buy anything if they can't negotiate a discount. But there are a lot of folks out there that have had such bad experiences with other types of building trades, window installers, you know, siding, roofing, plumbers, whatever, where they paid exorbitant prices, got what they think is a, as a sub quality subpar experience subpar product and they're shopping for price because they're pretty well assuming this process isn't going to work out well too and so if you can do what brian's talking about and help them understand how this process can be a great process how the outcome can be something that they really enjoy and you, you ask enough questions to lead them down to that point to that deep emotional part then you start getting into servicing the customer and helping them have a great experience and that's where you really start to win and price becomes a non-issue at that point. Whenever someone asks for the question, what's your square foot price? I flip it to them and I say, why are you asking me that question? Did you get a, a square foot price from somebody else? And they often say yes. And then I say, well, do you know their total price? Because that's what I speak in. I speak in the total cost. And then they usually don't have that answer. And then I explain to them that, it's not just a square foot price. Many companies go very low on that and then charge you through the roof for cutouts or delivery fees or installation costs. I said, everybody does it differently. It's very subjective what a square foot price includes. I said, so the better way to speak about it is what is the total cost of your project? And then we could have that better, you know, more educated conversation. Yeah. And that's part of educating the customer, right? It helps you move from product at a price or being a solution provider to becoming more of a trusted advisor, because now you're helping them understand your business, understanding how they can be assured of being happy and, and delighted once all this is done, once this experience is over with. And so you've educated them and helped them solve what that really core problem is for them. And at that point, again, price just becomes less and less of an issue. Now, Laura, you're, uh, you've got a lot of background in marketing. I haven't heard you speak up much about selling. Um, have you got any additional comments you'd want to want to add in here? Um, I think that it sounds like we're a lot like you, Brian. Um, we try to avoid that square foot price. Also, um, I don't. We don't talk about it in marketing. I do. I get, probably do have a couple of instances on our website where it talks about that because there are just some people who just want that baseline. But um, I'm pretty sure I listened to that Aaron Crawley podcast you were talking about. And um, my salespeople definitely try to say, well, you know, it's, it's about the whole project, you know, and the price is what it is. Um, I think that we do a decent job of avoiding that question. I hope so. Okay. I never, well, we definitely, we don't like, we have a lot of slabs here in our shop and that people can shop through. Um, and we don't have them in any particular order. Uh, you know, there's not like, here's your builder grade section and here's your luxury section. They're all over the place. We do have quartz and, natu and natural stone separated, but when people are like, are they priced different? I'm like, they're just kind of all over the place. There's, you know, I've, I, I try to talk in relative terms, like your quartzite's going to be on the higher end, you know, or this is going to be a, a less than that stone, stuff like that, but um, you know, the, the key part in the, you know, how to sell without selling is that there are specific techniques. There are specific ways you can get from that logical level down to that emotional level. And, and, and I think, um, you know, what, what Brian and Laura are talking about are great ways to, to talk with customers 
But I think Stephanie's weighing in. Stephanie, do you have a comment? Um, you know, we do consider ourselves as responsible for educating the customer as we are for selling the job. But the minute somebody walks in the door wanting a square foot price, we just kind of have a way of, of stopping that approach and just saying, listen, we'll be happy to compare our quote against anyone, but what we include in our services, you need to be sure are included in your services. And however you want to go about doing that, if you already have quotes, then we'll be glad to, you know, talk with you about what it is you're wanting and give you a quote real quick and talk with you about the differences of what we're providing and what we're doing versus what you have. But, um, you know, our process is this, and this is what we provide for you in our services. We try to shorten that process to a very minimal conversation. And if they want to walk back out the door, that's okay. If they're put off by that in any kind of a way, then they might not be our customer. But at the same time, we want a warm, inviting environment the moment they hit the door as well. So we're not trying to turn them off, but we are trying to say our time is valuable. Don't waste it. Really, I'll be honest with you, our biggest concerns that we have from a selling standpoint is the customers that just don't want to hear you. They don't want to hear the care and maintenance. They don't want to hear that a marble may not be a good product for them. They don't, you know, they sign off on all the paperwork and yet they still come back and bite us and talk ugly about us. And I, really our issues are more to do with that. Um, um, everybody's smarter than we are these days. <laughs> yeah, one of the downsides of the internet, right? Oh my gosh. And and nobody's nice about it either. They're just the meanest that I've ever seen. They don't think anything of blowing you up on social media saying outlandish, horrible things about you that aren't even true. Yeah. Laura, did you have a people comment? Have definitely, people have definitely gotten meaner in the last few years. A hundred percent. Yeah. The digital marketing company we hired and Laura, you'd be able to again probably speak better to this than I can. Their advice on negative reviews on social media, whether it's Google, Instagram, wherever, is respond to them. And you essentially neutralize their ridiculous comments by, by stating the facts that you, I'm very sorry that, that your countertops are performing as you expected. Um, as we explained during your design visit and through the paperwork that you signed, you know, marble is a soft material that does not perform well in a kitchen. We made you aware of this. And as you remember, you signed the document saying that you were aware of it. We'd be happy to help, you know, find a better suitable material. If you'd like to have a discussion, please contact our office. Anyone who would read that would then be like, okay, well, customer blank is a moron. They signed the paper and they chose it anyway. Yeah, yeah. totally. I I definitely, 100%, you should respond and you should respond from a non-emotional state. And even if that, like, ask somebody outside of it, you know, like, just write something small or like, you know, I'm sorry to hear this, our office will reach out. Even that, if that's all you can say nicely, you know, but I do think that the consumer, as much as people suck sometimes, I think that there's still rational people out there. And just like you said, Brian, when they see that response, they're like, okay, well, you know, we don't know the whole story. And Hopefully don't take it all the way to heart, you know? Yeah, dealing with those things is definitely a challenge, no question. Uh, I'm thinking, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking about a local barbecue place here that actually, you know, moved from one town to another. And I don't know the whole story, but I, I did go back and look at some of his social media comments and, and discussions that he had in his previous town. And he had a tendency or whoever was handling, you know, his, his social media had a tendency to want to argue with customers on social media. And I can tell you that, that from a customer perspective, it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to sit there and argue with me about, you know, about what, what I posted on there, 
Uh, I'm probably not going to be willing to come back and buy another meal. Um, and so I think there's a fine line between, I think what, you know, what Brian said is great. You've got to, you know, stick to the facts and just, you know, be simple and straightforward to be out there. What Laura said is right. You got to respond. I think you got to be careful not to get into those arguments because nobody, nobody wins in those. You know, when you have, when you start arguing with a customer, you've already, you, you really have lost at that point. So, uh, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a, a challenge these days. And I think what Stephanie was talking about, you know, you were kind of getting into this aspect of of qualifying the customer. Somebody comes in and starts asking about square foot pricing. If you can't help them understand what Brian was talking about with the whole job pricing, and they just don't want to hear that, then knowing how to qualify that customer is really important. That's part of the sales techniques and getting good training in, in those specific sales techniques. And of course, that also assumes that you know who your customer is. Um, Aaron had a, did a good job in the podcast of talking about how he had actually had a script that his people followed that and it had in the script that had places like, okay, pause, you know, shut up and listen. You asked a question, shut up and listen. You made a statement, stop and, and listen, wait for the response, that kind of stuff. Uh, so that that structure and that training is really key. And then knowing which, you know, which customers are your customers, knowing what market you're after. Uh, Chuck talked about the fact he and I have been talking a little bit the last few weeks. Chuck's in the in a higher end of the market. Uh, and he knows I think if somebody comes in and starts looking for you know, Ubatuba, 25 bucks a foot, that's probably not his customer, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Chuck, but uh, is that pretty much the case? So, yeah, if, if they want to have that conversation about square foot, we'll give them a starting point. You know, they were, we're, we're normally around 50, 55 to start and we can go from there. Uh, but we don't, we don't, we don't focus on the square foot too much either. Okay. And part of that is that, you know, as you start talking with customers, you know, as when they start talking, whether they're probably going to be, fit into that model of who is your customer and who isn't, right? Right, right. Yeah. And in qualifying those folks, I think, is really important. And, and that means, again, you got to know who your customer is. And, and we also, we we won't even go out to a home unless they provide just some basic drawings so we can just do a range anyway, you know. Uh, and if they say, yeah, you know, come out and do a template or a measure or whatever, then we'll go out. Uh, but we try to, try to qualify them that way first. Yeah, understood. Stephanie? Yeah, so um, do any of you charge for a preliminary measure or, you know, like some people are perfectly capable of providing at least a beginning measurement for us to do an estimate. We do a really good job of, you know, explaining to them this is a very rough estimate, but it lets you know what range you're in for this project. But if they can't and they want us to go do measurements, then we charge a fee that we will then apply to their sale you know, should they buy from us, we don't just go measure, you know, for nothing and, and not have some kind of a way to cover our time, our money, you know, expense and what we've got out there. So anybody else do that? I'll jump in. Um, we don't charge. We usually say we get a lot of people that call in wanting a quote measure. And I'm, I think our salespeople say we can certainly do that, you know, or if you can just provide some rough drawings, we can go based on that. Um, and then it's either, oh, I don't know how to use a tape measure or, oh yeah, I can do that kind of thing. But we don't charge, um, I don't see a problem with that, but I think that the in-home quote measure is probably the highest closed sale contact that there is. Um, I, especially with the right salesperson who knows what they're doing. I think once you're in someone's home, it's just, it's a lot easier to close. So maybe you're not getting some of those quote measures because you're charging. I don't know. I'm just throwing random ideas out there. We 
We also live in a pretty, we're just, just outside of St. Louis. So you can get almost anywhere in 20 minutes. Like it's not, it's usually not, we're not driving an hour to get anywhere. So that makes a difference too. Yeah. And our, our dynamic is just a little bit different because our salespeople aren't the ones that go measure. We have a template person that goes and does the measuring. Yeah. So it's, it is a little bit, it is a little different structure. We have to ask for a lot of photos on remodels, um, new constructions, you know, different. That's much easier, but uh, remodel work, um, especially, is where this really kind of comes from one play. Locally, the Home Depots in our area charge you to do a template. Um, so we've kind of adopted the same mentality. So we're charging homeowners uh, when we're doing our retail sales, $150 to just go out and to do the template in the house. So that covers my cost of my my crew to go out there and do it. And then we can give an accurate quote. And if it doesn't go forward, well, now we're still covered, at least for our time spent doing such a thing. Somebody on the call just said it, that get going through that process, most more likely than not, that that, that money uh, leads to the full sale. Yeah, and you can also do things like, okay, if you buy from us, then then we'll knock that 150 bucks off the price or whatever, you know. So that's that's another way to do it too. I know a lot of, and then obviously too, whether you charge for those initial measure trips, a couple of thoughts. One is, is it just measure for an estimate and a quote, or is it an honest to goodness template that you will fabricate from? Those are two different types of trips. And I know folks that when uh, the economy has been soft or they're struggling to increase sales in their area, we'll do what Laura's talking about. They'll go out and they'll do those in-home measures, take samples, uh, do that type of thing and close the sale, get a signature and get a deposit right then. But that's not the template. It's just a measure for an estimate and a quote and uh and then not charge for that trip because you know economy's soft and, and sales are tough and so it's something you do to go get a higher percentage close so that's that's another way to look at it too and if things get really soft in the next year or two maybe something worth considering anybody that wants to dive a little deeper into this Starting in September, we've put together a professional marketing firm, a professional sales training firm, and then I'm going to do some work on some uh, on some metrics up front. We're going to do a 10-week, once-a-week, hour-and-a-half per session deep dive into these topics. The landing page is up at fabricatorsbusinessacademy.com. We're only going to allow 10 companies to come in. We want to keep this as a small group, but if you're interested in the details, um, Reach out to me by phone or by email. I'll be glad to talk with you. We can even register you manually if you decide you want to commit. Um, but next month, the uh, next article that's coming out is, is that all that this data is good for? And that August article will talk about how to take the intuition that you have about the different market segments that you deal with and put numbers on which market segments are more profitable for you and which customers are more profitable for you. And that's going to be part of this 10-week workshop as well. But we've got an article coming out next month that will talk about it. And our webinar next month, we'll, uh, we'll go through that as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.